Pursuant to the Fair Use Doctrine of Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, limited use of copyrighted material is permitted for specific purposes such as criticism, comment, news, reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. This podcast is otherwise copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 34 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. I'm back, I think, from my bout with laryngitis, so Satan's desperate attempt to keep truth from being spoken has failed. This podcast may be broken into two parts due to length, and if it is, I will post part two shortly. Last episode, I played excerpts from two podcasts that covered two different potential mechanisms of action of the bioweapons shot. Now, some people expressed some confusion regarding the details of those mechanisms, particularly Karen Kingston's details. But before we get into that, you might be wondering what is the point in discussing this topic? If the shots that identify themselves as vaccines are actually bioweapons that have been deployed against humanity, then who cares about the details? Isn't it too late to do anything about it? Well, no, it's not. That's why Karen Kingston, Dr. Brian Artis, Attorney Todd Callender and many others are working so hard to determine what these shots are really designed to do and how they operate. Do the people working to uncover the secrets of the shot have the the authoritative answers at this point? No, they don't. But they have discovered enough to give us, the otherwise helpless victim class, some power to fight back so that we're not hapless pawns caught in the evil machinations of the globalists. The people who are, by their own admission, openly hostile to all useless eaters of the world, defiant of God, and malevolent toward the Christian church. I remind everyone what Yuval Noah Harari said about the globalist plans. He said that we, meaning the globalists, can now hack human beings. Hack means to control the behavior of, or alter at a fundamental level, the substance of human beings. And they can do that now, not in the future. I also remind everyone that our occupier-in-chief wrote, or more likely had someone write for him, an executive order that declares that a national American governmental priority is now to hack human beings. Oh, the order didn't quite put it that bluntly, like Yuval did, but it did say there is a government imperative to program human cells like we program machines. So, it's the same thing. If you missed those recent episodes, you might want to go back and catch up. People who want a future as a human being should ask themselves, what is the mechanism that they are using to hack human beings? How is it done? Well, it's done by altering the DNA in the cell. And how is DNA altered? It's altered by splicing a new genetic code into the DNA, code that was created on a computer to do something that God did not intend for human cells to do. To insert genetic code into human DNA, there has to be a delivery mechanism that will get the mRNA, the carrier of the code, into the cell where it can splice into the desired portions of DNA. Since mRNA is unable to survive outside the cell or penetrate cell walls, it has to be protected from the body and then transported through the cell walls into the cells. All that is done by encapsulating the mRNA inside a lipid nanoparticle, which in part is made of hydrogel, which is otherwise known as graphene oxide. 
The hydrogel protects the mRNA packet until it can be delivered and is able, with the help of some other chemicals, to deliver its payload to human cells. Being made of carbon, graphene oxide is black and it has many bizarre and unique properties. When it's subjected to the influence of an external energy source, such as an electromagnetic field, otherwise known as EMF, it forms structures. For example, when a puddle of graphene oxide is subjected to a magnetic field, or even EMF from a cell phone, a cluster of graphene spikes form at the top of the puddle. In another example, when EMF radiation is applied to nanoparticles of graphene oxide in solution, the nanoparticles begin to self-assemble into angular objects that look very much like circuit boards. All it needs is energy. Principally, EMF, which is emitted not only by cell phones, but by routers, cell towers, and the brand new 5G and 6G systems that are sprouting up all across the world. This graphene oxide hydrogel has another, less formal name. It's also known as black goo, which is a form of programmable matter. Black goo has been featured in many music videos, movies, and even advertisements where its nature and purpose was not explicitly explained, but its purpose was nevertheless demonstrated. Obviously, the writers of these scripts knew not only what it is, but what it's for, something the rest of us have not been told. The Bible assures us that God does not do anything without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets, Amos 3.7, and I have to wonder if, in a like way, God doesn't allow Satan to do anything without revealing his plans to God's servants as well. Maybe that's why these globalist, Satan-worshipping, demon-possessed creatures constantly advertise their intentions to the public, if in hidden form. In the case of the black goo hydrogel, it formed the storyline of many popular and controversial media productions where the black goo merged with a human body to alter who we are. I'll give you two examples, but there are many more that directly reference black goo and the transhuman agenda in general. One of those productions is a commercial for a black perfume called Fame that was first marketed by Lady Gaga in 2012. I highly recommend that you go watch this commercial yourself on the YouTube, as there is no adequate audio substitute. Just type in the words Gaga Fame Commercial Full, and you'll get it. But for this podcast, I'll play the soundtrack in the background while I try to explain, as best I can, what is taking place in the commercial. The video begins by flashing the word WARNING in red against a black background. You have to hand it to these people. They know how to use symbolism. Red and black are Satan's colors, and the warning, well, that's self-explanatory. This intro transitions quickly to an oily black liquid that's bubbling. Inside the bubbling black liquid, a black form emerges against a red background that transforms itself into Lady Gaga, screaming. Now that's the kind of perfume that gets the evening started on the right track. Then out of that black horror image emerges a golden statue of a woman lying sensuously on a platform beneath some dark black evening clouds. The dark sky symbolizes the long night of God's rule. The platform is surrounded with mostly naked men who are facing the statue, chained together with their arms behind their backs. That imagery could symbolize the chains that God places on man, but it's more likely to symbolize the chains that will bind men in worship to the coming ruler of this new age. As the camera swings around the statue, we get a glimpse of the face 
and it's wearing a partial black mask. The scene transitions to a black Lady Gaga dancing between black liquid spikes that look exactly like a puddle of graphene oxide under the influence of a magnetic field, or EMF. The image then switches to Lady Gaga dressed almost completely in black. She's pulling on a black glove, symbolizing the final treatment of the black goo. The scene then moves to a stage where Gaga looks very much like a mechanical black dog walking across a black stage on all fours, but then instantly becomes a seductress in black spike heels who walks toward a portal in the shape of a mirror that has four sets of giant claws holding it. She reaches out to the mirror and puts her arm partway through it. It's made of black liquid. She withdraws her arm, appears startled, and a drop of the liquid falls and splatters on the floor, causing black spikes to rise up from the floor in the form of a crown. She then walks into the mirror through the spikes of the crown, which reach out to her and absorb her into the goo. The scene then switches to a room of mostly naked men who form a corridor between them, men who are wearing partial black masks just like Lady Gaga wore. The golden Lady Gaga then walks down the human corridor. There is a quickly changing series of scenes in which Gaga seductively does things with these men, which concludes with her emerging from a black mouth that is filled with black goo. She's wearing a crown of the black goo on her head. After a series of images of her kissing men who are covered with the black goo, smearing it on them and wiping it off again, the scene changes to Gaga again emerging out of the black mouth that's filled with black goo, but this time with a gun barrel coming out of her mouth and a crown of black goo on her head. She fires the gun, and then the camera instantly focuses on the part of her face where black liquid pours out of her mouth and nose until she disappears under the liquid. The commercial ends with a living Gaga statue covered with half-naked miniature men in black masks crawling all over her. It symbolizes the birth and worship of the goddess deity. Now obviously, this commercial has nothing to do with perfume and everything to do with something very evil, even satanic. And it has a lot to do with black goo. The black crown that keeps emerging, for example, is a direct reflection of the crown that the Beast of Revelation wears. The Beast in the Gaga commercial seeks to gain control over people by infusing them with the black goo, which is programmable matter. The production was released almost a decade before an injection masquerading as a vaccine that contains black programmable graphene oxide was unleashed on humanity. Around the same time that Lady Gaga was filming her perfume commercial, a music video was produced by a group called Dota. The video is titled Bad Girls, and it covers much of the same theme, but with a superhero twist. You wouldn't necessarily pick that up by just listening to the music and lyrics, but you can't miss it watching the video. To open the video, God is depicted as some kind of half-human man with snake-like arms who exerts control over humanity. The bad girls are hybrids who have been infused with black goo, which at the start of the video is seen coming out of their mouths and is pictured inside their bodies. The theme of the video is that these women have to remake themselves to be godlike in order to defeat the snake god and establish themselves as the ultimate rulers of the universe. And they do this through black goo transhumanism. Surely Satan does nothing unless God first reveals it to his servants the prophets? 
even in commercials and music videos. They end up defeating God and becoming goddesses themselves, which is the whole point of the transhuman agenda. Good luck! Now, most people will not willingly volunteer to be a transhuman experiment by infusing black goo into themselves in order to reprogram their DNA, especially Christians who understand that God programs our biology and man has no place to alter that programming. But the globalists are in a hurry to become gods, you see, and they do not understand the necessity of convincing the useless eaters to accept their human experimentations. It was time for action, and the only question was how they could get the stupid sheeple to voluntarily infuse the black goo into their bodies so the DNA-altering experimentation could begin. They came up with a plan to terrify the world with a bioweapon that they would label a virus that would get some people sick. They would outlaw widely available, cheap, safe, and effective medications that would deactivate the bioweapon so that people would end up getting sick enough to enter the hospital, where they could be killed with a protocol designed to do just that, thereby artificially inflating death counts, creating frightening visual effects, and instilling panic in the public. In that environment, it was not hard to get people to follow the saviors who emerged to offer salvation through a novel vaccine that would protect us from the so-called virus. After all, the pharmaceutical companies and the medical industry had spent decades convincing us that the vaccines are trustworthy and safe. And the plan worked. People eagerly sought the vaccine to be protected from the novel virus. And they sought the second vaccine when they were told the efficacy of the first vaccine was waning. And they sought the third vaccine when they were told the first two needed some help. And some people sought a fourth and fifth vaccine when they were told the first three were not doing the trick. But, try as they might, the pandemic plotters could not convince everyone to comply with the decrees of the medical tyrants. There were actually vaccine resistors. They therefore vilified those resistors who refused to take the bioweapon and labeled them vaccine deniers anti-science mystics, and dangerous threats to society. The governments of the world, in collusion with the globalists, used every kind of pressure to get them to conform. They used economic pressure, threatening their jobs, their companies, and their livelihoods. They threatened them socially, denying them access to public spaces, denying many the opportunity to shop and work, and denying them the right to travel and move freely throughout the world. They even tried to prevent them from going to church. And when none of that worked, they sometimes resorted to charging them with criminal offenses if they tried to survive by violating an illegal order for them to isolate and stay at home. The COVID pandemic was created for the sole purpose of getting the injection into the arms of as many people as possible. It was a military operation using fifth-generation unconventional warfare tactics, and it is just one of several weapons that the globalists have deployed. There are others, and they will be used effectively unless we're able to convince enough people that they are the object of a planned and deliberate attack that's designed to depopulate much of the earth and enslave those who remain. The injections are weapons that have wounded those who were forced, coerced, or tricked into taking them. When a person is wounded in a war, whether they are military or civilian, we don't just shrug and say it's their problem. We don't walk around them and go on with our day as if nothing has happened. Decent people try to help them, and decent people include both Christians and non-Christians. We should not want to live in an insane world where we ignore wounded and dying people and act as if nothing is going on. Karen Kingston isn't going to do that, and neither is Dr. Brian Artis. They are trying to figure out how the bioweapon works 
so that they can offer solutions to potentially defuse it. But before we can defuse a weapon, or treat the damage to a body that has been subjected to an attack by a weapon, we first have to understand the nature of both the weapon and the physiological effect it has on the body. We have to start by acknowledging that it's a weapon. In the last episode, we heard Karen Kingston and Dr. Artis explain their ideas about how the bioweapon works. Today, we're going to hear more detail on exactly how this weapon is affecting our bodies and what we can do to counteract its effects. This is part of a November 5th interview on the Dr. Jane Ruby Show, where she interviewed Dr. Artis and Mike Adams of Brighteon.com. I'm going to condense it to the most insightful comments because we have other things to cover as well. If you want to hear the full interview, go to the Dr. Jane Ruby Show at Red Voice Media or go to Brighteon.com. You probably can find it on BitChute as well. I'm grateful to these individuals and all the others who are fighting to get this information out. Let's hear some excerpts from the interview. So, Mike, why don't you start with your initial findings in that famous clot that you got samples of from Richard Hirschman? Okay, I, I will. And by the way, thank you for connecting me to Richard Hirschman so we could get those samples. And, and, and I just want to say also, uh, I, I know that Brian's going to present his research, but when, when he first talked about venom peptides, you know, we were the only ones, I think, in the industry that published detailed research articles about Venom Tech and other companies that have a database of peptides from Venom that are used throughout the medical industry and are referenced probably hundreds of thousands of times in research papers. So I just want to say for the record that anybody out there who is claiming that there's no such thing as venom or venom peptides in medicine, you don't know what you're talking about. It's all throughout the literature. I can give you two companies that actually license these. They license them to all big pharma and so on. So let's just get past that ridiculousness of claiming there's no such thing as venom peptides in medicine. And no, nobody's talking about running around milking millions of snakes for venom. It's all <laughs> right. synthetic created folks it, I, I still hear people who don't get this people who should know better they still don't get it it's created synthetically the same way you know in a lab they create vitamin c or they they create different nutritional supplements from yeast and, and e coli so anyway i just want to put that out there for the record okay uh before i get started uh with that said what i've covered you know my laboratory is uh, icpms heavy metals and elemental analysis plus microscopy and we also have uh, triple quad mass spec equipment. So what we've done, we took those, the, uh, the biostructures, we'll call them, the clots from Richard Hirschman. We put them under the microscope. You were with me when we did that on the Alex Jones show live, and we looked at them. And then we did an analysis with a heavy metals analysis, the ICPMS, and we found that these structures, whatever they are, they contain higher concentrations of conductive metals compared to normal human tissue or even you know, meat or or dog food or chicken breast or whatever, because we test food all the time in our mm. lab too. So I've been pursuing more of the, the nanotech side of this, while Dr. Artis is focused on more of the venom tech side or the venom peptides side of this, but they interrelate in ways that I think will become apparent today. So again, we have two very different mechanisms of action for these vaccines. The venom peptide mechanism is not the same as the electromechanical mechanism that ends up clogging veins and arteries and causing heart attacks and strokes. And there are other mechanisms that other researchers have discussed, including the creation of microscarring of blood vessels and the microslicing of the blood vessel walls by graphene hydroxide, which is another component that's been identified in the vaccines. There is heavy metal toxicity in the solution, and there's track and trace technology included in the vaccine. 
There are probably more mechanisms of action, but they take time, funding, and experimentation to find and evaluate. Meanwhile, people are getting sick and dying from these things, so it's important to find something that might neutralize their effects. So, so Brian, just, just a quick summary. I mean, our interview from last week was so well received. I mean, it's, it's literally uh, almost a, a half a million views and people are, are, are clamoring about it. There was so much rich information and we kind of caught them a little bit with a play on words, which was your idea, uh, where we, we titled it, Dr. Artis was wrong. So, uh, so, so give us a little bit of, give the audience a little bit of a refresh summary on that. Yeah, that was a little bit fun. You called the day before and you said, what should we title this presentation you're about to give? And I said, why don't you just say Dr. Artis was wrong? <laughs> and I, and uh, it was really quite funny because people were worried that I would actually even say that and yep. uh, maybe that would throw people off. And the truth was, it's actually more complex and more venomously involved than even I realized. That was the truth. So the truth's coming out of China and France in the first months of the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. In January of 2020, Chinese researchers said that people who were sick in Wuhan, the antibodies in their body fighting this new novel COVID pneumonia, they actually were attacking and identifying venom peptides from two snakes. And they believed the origin source for COVID was the Chinese crate and the Chinese king cobra snakes. And then it was published on CNN and all over the place, all over the world, that the origin source for the Wuhan virus was, which they were calling it at the time, were actually snakes. And then the third most likely source was bats. <clears throat> yeah. And then in France, in April 2020, they found that the spike protein, when they ran the gene sequences of it, they found that it was not just crate venom peptides, which is a short sequence of protein from the venom of crate snakes. It also was the Chinese king cobra venom peptide was the spike protein. And then three different snippets of genetic material from the rabies virus. And then they, so that was one thing. And then what I did with your audience on Friday was take them through the evidence out of a study in Italy two months later in 2020 from the French study. They actually published when they ran the blood, urine, and feces of COVID-19 PCR positive patients in multiple cities in Italy. They also took people who PCR tested negative for COVID from multiple cities in Italy, and they took their tissue samples of urine, blood, and feces. And then they ran them through a bunch of lab techniques called liquid chromatography and mass spectrometry. And they wanted to see, is it true, like the Chinese researchers and French researchers, is it true there might be venom peptides causing COVID symptoms? Mm. And when they ran the sequences of venoms found in the COVID-19 patients only, they actually published 36 different venom sources and then the actual component of the venoms from 20 different snakes found in the blood and feces of COVID-19 patients, and then 16 marine shellfish venoms mm. in the blood and feces of the COVID-19 patients. And then they also published, they actually found zero animal venoms inside of the negative PCR patients who did not test positive for COVID. And then we laid out for the world my concerns about these 15 different marine snail venoms in COVID patients called conotoxins. And then we took you through and showed the world, like Mike just mentioned, I gave just one example on your show of a company. You could order online synthetic crate venom, the exact component of crate venom found in COVID-19 patients. You can order it online. And then it designates on the website, you at home get to choose 
what do you want your synthetic snake venom from the crate snake to be made in? Do you want it made in yeast or E. coli or mammal cells? And it was just an eye-opening experience to witness that the body can synthetically make this in mammal cells, you can make it in the lab in bacteria, E. coli, and yeast. I have something new to add to your interview with Dr. Artis mm, okay. uh, from a couple of days ago, something that, that I think you're both going to find really exciting. So um, what the, the method that they use that Brian just referred to, liquid chromatography plus mass spectrometry, this is a method that I use every day in, in our laboratory. So we're very familiar with what those look like. And the reason I mention this is because if anybody is out there saying that, oh, this lab didn't know what they were looking at, or it, it must have been some other molecule that just happened to look the same as, as these venom peptides. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something, bombshell. I, I read the study. I looked at the data. They confirmed the molecules in three different ways. Those three ways are, mm. number one, the chromatography elution time, which is where the chemical comes out of the chromatography column at a certain minute, like, you know, two, minute 2.5 or minute 3 or whatever. You can see the peaks in the charts. That's proof number one. Now, that alone is not absolute proof, but they did two other things. They got the mass of the molecule, which in the charts is expressed as M divided by Z, which is mass over charge ratio, which usually just you simplify that to mass. So... They have the mass of the molecule, and you can calculate the mass of every peptide molecule. Every venom molecule has a, a determined mass based on, you know, the sum of the elements that make it up, right? But then they did a third way, a third confirmation, and that's called ion fragmentation. So if you take any molecule and you blast it with energy, it breaks apart in certain specific identifiable and predictable patterns. Mm. And in mass spectrometry, what you do is you use your instrument to scan for both the original mass, which is M over Z, but also you scan for the ion fragments. And the ion fragments are like a fingerprint at a crime scene. And it tells you that these fragments could only have come from this other molecule, which was also found with the same with the mass overcharge ratio. So that's the third confirmation. So in other words, these results are solid. Mm. They they did all three methods. This this wasn't just some guy in his basement with a chromatography machine talking about, oh yeah, we found, you know, uh, cannabinoids, whatever. No, this is mass confirmed and then ion fragmentation confirmed as well. So yeah. I wanted to make sure you both know that piece because it's a big deal. This is real science from real scientists who know what they're doing. These scientists found actual snake venom peptides in people who had COVID, but not in people who did not have COVID. And they found a lot of it in the people who had COVID. So, so Brian, anything to add to, the, to, to that? I mean, that really bolsters, that study really is what just catapulted your findings into this new level. Yeah, it was one of the final things that made me so confident that it was time to do the interviews with Stu, do the actual interviews with Mike, and then go around the world sharing the confidence that I had that these people did their due diligence. Yeah. And they found and confirmed that what the Chinese researchers, French researchers, and now Italy researchers, they all confirmed the same thing. There is this underlying venom peptide, and each of these components from these various venomous creatures absolutely cause every single side effect listed from COVID. In fact, Mike, one of the most impressive, and Dr. Jane, one of the most impressive uh, resulted research studies I found was the University of Arizona study. Mm -hmm. When they took the 300 patients' blood samples in 2021 from two different hospital systems, they wanted to know what kills COVID-19 patients. 
And what's the biomarker we should tell medical doctors to look for? And what they found was very disturbing. They said this enzyme normally found in rattlesnake venom is at such levels we've never seen it at this level in the blood of a human. It's 20 times anything we've ever seen in a chronic illness of a, of a human. And the enzyme is called phospholipase A2. Now this substance, phospholipase A2, was first ever discovered, they disclosed in the research study, it was first ever found in king cobra venom, which just so happened to also be the same snake researchers in China and France said was the originating source for COVID. So it, was, it wasn't ironic to me. However, when I showed the Utah State University study on your show, Dr. Jane Ruby, that they were able to use what they call genetic engineering yes. in 2018 to introduce E. coli bacteria to just synthesize synthetic PLA2 from snake venom. Mm -hmm. That was the aha moment for me. It was, well, what if there's just microorganisms in, that's also complicating certain COVID cases? For example, a diabetic who has uncontrollable ability to manage blood sugar. They very often have co-infections of E. coli, bacterial overgrowth, and yeast or candida, which just happens to be the mediums you can select to manufacture synthetic venom in a lab or in vivo. So I just want people to be aware, I think this is the correlation to the, the one demographic of people who are dying from COVID and hospitalized the most are diabetics. Once I got to this genetic engineering of synthetic snake venom, PLA2, that was confirmed to be the biomarker killing COVID patients by the University of Arizona, this is what made them declare it looks like venom coursing through the body. Mm -hmm. That's what they titled their article. It looks like they've been bitten by snakes because there's so much of this PLA2. Uh, I just want people to recognize. Right. PLA2 is the massive thing that people were aware of, originally isolated from King Cobra venom. They found 20 times the normal level in human beings yeah, with and, COVID patients. And what's the other medium that we're loaded with? Mammalian cells, right? Mammal cells. Yep. Right. It's very interesting. So let me give you the, um, the question that came up the most. And it came up, it comes up when I, after I've interviewed Mike, and it came up a lot after our interview last week, Brian, and that was, how are we getting it? People, thousands of people wrote to me and said, I didn't quite understand how they're saying we get it. Now, Dr. Tao Braun says it's environmental now. It's so ubiquitous. It's gotten out through so many different ways. But do you concur with that? What do you guys think? Yeah, so I'll tell you my one thought. If you don't know this yet, go look at the, just type in Google, type in DuckDuckGo, type in United States Department of Justice and the word conotoxin. This article pulls up from 2012. Our United States of America Department of Justice yeah. in 2012 published an article that's still on there live today. It says there's so much conotoxin, this cone snail venom that there was found in COVID-19 patients. They said there's so much of it around the world, we are worried it could be used as a bioterrorist weapon. Mm -hmm. And they're going to aerosolize it. And what's going to happen when people breathe it in? It's going to cause respiratory failure. It's in the abstract. Respiratory failure by paralyzing the diaphragm. Okay. Can either of you bring that down to the average person? They're going to say to you, am I breathing it in? Am I touching it on the store, on the counter at the store, the grocery store? Am I, am well, I getting I have it? a different theory. 
Please, Mike. On, on that, well, I mean, it may be complimentary, but this, you got to understand, self-replicating vaccines are a technology that's yes. been researched since the 1990s. In fact, uh, the United Nations has acknowledged it. You know, the, the scientific establishment says that self-replicating vaccines are a key technology that they want to deploy, and I believe they have deployed it. Now, understand, in self-replicating vaccines, and, and by the way, this brings me to a question I have for Dr. Artis after that interview, but self-replicating vaccines program your body to generate the antigen target, mm -hmm. which is the spike protein, in addition to generating another component that is designed to be shed to others around you, and that that shed component, whatever it is, then infects that person's cells, takes over their operating system and begins to generate both the antigen and other shedding components as well. So that's what a self-replicating vaccine is. And if, and, and my question to Dr. Artis related to this is, do you believe that there are mRNA instructions in the vaccine that are coded for the body to produce these venom peptides itself? Mike, uh, that is a great question, and I want to answer it very emphatically and confidently until it's proven otherwise. There isn't a single adverse event being reported by these COVID-19 mRNA shots that does not explicitly in writing isn't a published side effects of conotoxin envenomation in a human. I believe the mRNA injections are instructions for the human body to engineer these conotoxin venoms and possibly the venoms of these other peptides from snakes. Yes, exactly. Absolutely concur. Well, what, okay. do you, what do you think I, that is coming? What about J&J &J and AstraZeneca? They don't have a direct mRNA encapsulated, supposedly, if we believe what we're told. They have a different mechanism. Any insight into those two? I would like to answer that, but I want to hear Mike's thoughts first. Well, I, I want to say if we, we know that they're finding these toxin peptides in COVID patients, many of whom are no doubt vaccinated as well. So the two vectors of introduction would be to have the toxins in the vaccine, obviously, but the vaccine itself, which is usually half a milliliter of total volume, may not even be large enough to hold the amount of toxins that are being detected in the feces mm. and in the blood plasma. See, so that's why I agree with what Dr. Artis just said, which is that it seems like there is a cocktail of mRNA encoding that is encoding, well, causing the body to synthesize these. And, and by the way, there are stories out there, mainstream stories that you can find where people have uh, yeast in their gut that produces alcohol from carbohydrates. And when they eat too much sugar, they get drunk. They, they literally get drunk from the alcohol production in their own gut. So this is not a wild theory. This is just basic biochemistry. So you can have yeast and you can have E. coli in your gut and because that makeup is so different in every individual, it means that some people may have a thousand times more susceptibility to the vaccines because they're generating potentially a thousand times more venom uh, in their gut. Wow. Whereas other people, if they have different species of E. coli or they have probiotics that are protecting them, they may have no production of these venom peptides in their body. Does that, does that make sense, Dr. Artis? Mike, one of the things I actually brought up this weekend to several medical doctors, including Dr. Rashid Buttar, was I want to see the people who have been injured with the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, and I think we should do a stool sample test mm. and see if we can identify an overgrowth of E. coli and yeast in their body. 
And if all of them come back positive, this could actually be answering the question. And then we need to be actually screening everybody and anybody who ever even thinks they should get these shots. Possibly you should look to see, do you have a co-infection that could cause increased synthetic development of these peptides? Yes, exactly. You just nailed it. You, you, you just, you just nailed it. And what, what this means is that when those people, if they have the intestinal flora to generate excess peptides, not only is it toxic to them, but the, the toxins are coming out of their skin. Mm. They're shedding peptides. So that, Dr. Ruby, answers your previous question. How can people who, maybe who never even took the vaccine or took a different vaccine, how can they uh, end up being affected by this? That's the mechanism. A family member is inadvertently poisoning them. So unless we're living in a, seriously, I'm not being facetious, a bubble or some kind of isolated way where we're only exposed to other people who have not taken it and don't leave that area, are we all ultimately going to be exposed? I mean, we, we live in the world of many, many entities and organisms. So yes, we are. Yes, we are. We are all exposed. And, and this explains why many people have uh, become sick and had to overcome that sickness through a variety of means, even though they were not vaccinated they they still got something this explains exactly how that mechanism could work and it also explains the symptoms which dr artis has spoken mm -hmm. about extensively of the loss of sense of smell which is a very common uh, nerve damage either temporary or permanent caused mm -hmm. by exposure to venom toxins right dr artis exactly right not viruses venoms this is a a published side effect on the nih's website is a loss of taste and smell and various venoms of snakes and conotoxins or marine snails have side effects of either lingering months to just over a year, loss of taste and smell, and some vipers actually have permanent mm. loss of taste and smell as a published side effect of its bite to a human or so, introduction of venom into so the human body. That explains the variability. Some people say it comes and goes. It comes and goes for a year or two. I mean, it came, it left, it never came back, all kinds of reports and and dr ruby if, I, if you don't mind me interjecting i mean i, I apologize if, if i'm being too forward here but this also allows the establishment to create a quote outbreak in any city at any time by simply using drones to drop in, into the air aerosolized lyophilized venom toxins people will become immediately symptomatic they'll show up in the hospitals it'll be diagnosed as COVID or whatever they want mm -hmm. to call it and then those people will die from the murder in the hospital and then they'll say, look, people are dying. And then they drive everybody to the next vaccine, which injects people with more instructions to make more venom toxins that spread across the city even more. And they say, look, see, it's out of control. This is how it's being done. When a nation spends billions of dollars annually to dream up new and creative weapons to use against humanity, and when we allow government money to fund dark weapons programs that few people know anything about, much less have any degree of control over, it's only a matter of time before evil people decide to make use of the technology. It's just too tempting for psychopaths, megalomaniacs, and wannabe tyrants not to use such capabilities, and the world seems to have an abundance of psychopaths, megalomaniacs, and wannabe tyrants. Look, uh, Homeland Security and uh, New York law enforcement, they were releasing simulated gases in the subways and the parks of New York City a few months ago in a drill that they bragged about. They were studying the airflow patterns of if something were released, where would it flow to? They don't even need airplanes. Wow. They, they can do it with drones. They can do it with little smoke bombs. 
set off in subways, whatever they want. Real easy. Yes, it is. And it's cheap, too. And it's hidden and silent and deadly. Everything a psychopathic homicidal tyrant could ever dream of using. Look, when, when we saw the, quote, outbreak in 2020 in northern Italy and also in New York City, uh, if it were a traditional viral outbreak, it should have followed a pattern of spread that was mathematically uh, able to be modeled. And it did not. It did not follow that at all. And the far more likely explanation, and I know it sounds rather nefarious, uh, but, you know, look who we're dealing with here, the, these uh, depopulation globalists, is to simply produce, synthetically produce a whole lot of uh, venom peptides, uh, lyophilize them, which means freeze dry them, put it into a powder and then use drones or other simple means, low tech means, low altitude, just distribute it around a city. And as everybody gets sick, the media picks it up. Oh, my gosh, there's an outbreak. People are showing up the hospitals and the hospitals start committing hospital homicide using remdesivir and ventilators. They kill a bunch of people. All of a sudden you have fatalities. Oh, it's an outbreak. And then everybody's got to be locked down again and got to have vaccines again. So they can fake an outbreak. And well, I, I'm, I'm not saying they're faking the symptoms. The symptoms are real, but it's not a viral outbreak. It's airdropped venom peptides that were synthetically created and distributed across the city to create panic because these, these globalists are terrorists and they use these panics to terrorize the people, to control us and lock us down, and then ultimately to kill a bunch of people and get people to consent to these injections, which turn their bodies into factories of venom peptides through the mRNA instructions. So that's, that's the intro. Now, we should be careful here and say that this is an hypothesis only. That mechanism of delivery has not been proven to have taken place. But Mike Adams is just illustrating how easy it would be to deliver this kind of bioweapon to the public. If you don't know what the weapon is, how are we going to save people's lives? Right. If you never even know what you're treating, how are you going to save our lives? I mean, this is a massive, I've said it from May 2020, when I figured out remdesivir was this drug going to be used by Anthony Fauci in all hospitals. This is a massive, like, genocide attempt or eugenics program. So how do we stop it? You better know what the weapon is. When we discussed in the previous uh, segment, and Mike did a great job. I love doing these shows. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I like being That's with true. smart people. Uh, when he's talking about drones and dropping these aerosolized, possibly venom peptides, we showed on your show, and we've talked about it in the previous segment here, that you can synthetically make these peptides in microorganisms and our own cells, E. coli, yeast, mammal cells. We showed that to the world. We know that they know how they can do that. So then all they got to do is get it into us. Okay. I want to make people aware of something. This even got more nefarious to me over the last two weeks. I have actually been looking up as I've uncovered this fact that you can synthetically engineer venom in E. coli and then we showed in your uh, presentation last Friday on your show, Dr. Jane Ruby, the correlation to outcomes in hospitalized patients and those who are dying with COVID who have E. coli infections. It is a 31% mortality rate in hospitals of people who have an intra-abdominal infection of E. coli. Now, I don't know if you guys have paid attention, but if you type online E. coli outbreaks in America, have you seen the water treatment plants reporting all throughout Ohio E. coli outbreaks in the water systems? Mm. Now, listen, they said there's E. coli overgrowth in all these parts of Ohio being reported in the media right now. Do you know how you manage E. coli in our source water and tap water? You put chlorine in it. Guess what happens when you reduce chlorine? You get E. coli outbreak or overgrowth. 
And then people are going to be bathing in it and drinking it at their homes. I want to show you something. On the CDC's wastewater surveillance site today, just an hour ago, I screenshotted this. I wanted to know where are they finding the most COVID in water plants around the country? Mm-hmm. Yes, which state only has red hot SARS-CoV-2 highlighted red COVID positive testing. It looks like Ohio. It is Ohio. In fact, I screenshotted Ohio. It's so isolated. Those are all the hot spots where they're finding SARS-CoV-2 in the water. Same cities they're reporting E. coli outbreaks. Uh, Okay. You guys need to be careful. Be careful with the water you're drinking. They can actually control the microorganisms that synthetically replicate venom in your body. And then all they got to do is expose you to it. I mean, what if they are, Mike, just dropping conotoxin venom peptides in the water where E. coli is present? Is it going to replicate venom in the water? Then you're going to drink it? Or then what if they weaponize it in the air and drop it in the air and you breathe it in and people are being exposed to E. coli in their body? And, well, and, and contact, a surface contact. So even once they drop it in the air, it falls on the surfaces, the handrails, the door handles and so on all across the city. And people just pick it up, you know, and it's a and, great and, point. This is a great point. Can I interject here? Yeah. People don't know this. I know you think I might be crazy about the venom. I have seen and read published articles. They are taking synthetic manufactured in a factory scorpion venom, and they are spraying it out of crop duster airplanes onto farms in England as an insecticide. So it just lands on the plants. And as Mike just said, the bugs come up and walk on it or eat it, and then they die. What do you think happens if a human being goes walking through that farmland and breathes in scorpion venom? What do you think is going to happen? Exactly. And and another critical piece to this, if you don't mind me interjecting, is that the United States and the British government conspired to attack and destroy the Nord Stream pipeline, which means that's proof that they will attack civilian infrastructure, Mm -hmm. which is going to lead to mass starvation and famine across Western Europe for not just one winter, but multiple winters. So anybody out there asking, oh, what are you saying, that the government are terrorists? Yes, the governments are the terrorists, and they're proving it every single day. They are terrorizing the world in in every way possible. They blew up Nord Stream. They're going to cause people to freeze to death in Europe. And yes, they are exposing us to toxins that are designed to kill. No question about it. So what do we do about this, Mike and Brian? Uh, what what are our next steps uh, in society in humani- as humanity? What what are these our next steps? How do we protect ourselves? What are your thoughts on that? Diabetics are the number one target. They're the ones dying the most as a percentage of all races in the world. Is di- not races, but demographics. Groups, it's diabetic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which represents wow. actually highest percentages in America who are dying. Native Americans also highest percentage of diabetics. Blacks second highest. Diabetics, third Hispanics, the third highest percentage of diabetics. Imagine the insulin needle complicating this impact, obviously. What do metals have to do with COVID? A huge aspect of COVID. In fact, in the Italy study, one of the components of venoms we didn't even talk about, but we highlighted real quick, was that they found what's called zinc metalloproteinases. That is a component of venoms. Snake venoms, conotoxin venoms, they actually destroy zinc reservoirs in the body. Mm. 
And what was the number one mineral you were taught? And we all were proclaiming around the world, including the great Dr. Ben Marble at myfreedoctor.com. Make sure you're supplementing zinc. You have to replace zinc Mm -hmm. as these venoms deplete and destroy zinc and copper reservoirs. Right. And the, and the, the quercetin is the zinc ionosphore that helps it, you know, absorb. But anyway, I want people to know that you're right. You were right. Zinc and copper are destroyed by venoms. What happens when you deplete the body of adequate amounts of copper? You get aneurysms. Your blood vessels start to expand and thin, and then you will have hemorrhaging in the body or you'll stroke out. That's the impact of the loss of copper and venom. So So, what is a solution? You better be supplementing zinc and don't stop. I mean, these these are simple things that everybody knows. But there are certain published nutrients that inhibit and denature venom. EDTA? Mm. Yes, please. Vitamin C, okay. NAC, glutathione, selenium, All copper, this. and zinc. People need to get into their body. These things are being destroyed and depleted from your body. So let me repeat that list because we all want to know what we can do to protect ourselves and our families. Dr. Artis, not me, said to supplement your diet with the following types of items. EDTA, ethyl anadamine tetraacetic acid. This is a chelating agent that binds to calcium and iron. Vitamin C, which is an antioxidant that does a lot of helpful things in the body. NAC, or N-acetylcysteine, which helps replenish glutathione levels and regulates glutamate. Glutathione, which metabolizes toxins, breaks down free radicals, and supports immune function. Selenium, one of the trace elements that are needed for reproduction, thyroid hormone metabolism, DNA synthesis, and protection from oxidative damage. Copper, which helps the body use iron and is necessary for a healthy circulatory system. And finally, zinc, which is needed for our immune system, metabolism, and wound healing. Disclaimer, this is not a medical show and I am not a doctor. Make sure you consult a doctor or other health care provider before taking any medications or call Dr. Artis. Supplements and vitamins are unregulated. Another frontline defender of humanity, attorney Todd Callender, is exposing yet another element to the warp speed vaccine that has been unleashed on humanity. It appears to be assembling bioelectronic components inside human bodies. Let's hear what he has to say. We have been involved in many hospital rescues in hospitals across the country. Some were successful, most were not because the hospitals totally denied all patient rights They denied access to advocates. They denied access to even attorneys. We have an attorney speaker at our press conference who lost her mother-in-law. She was on site in the hospital. And as an attorney was not able to save her mother-in-law from this death protocol. That's how bad it's become. And you're doing a huge service to help our listeners understand the enormity of what we're up against. What I wanted to impart, there was a couple things, that, and one of them that, that Dr. Vliet just hit on, but we've really got to embrace, we got to understand this is one of many vectors of death that is being pursued against humanity. We're in the middle of a genocide, whether it's a genocide by the shots or the, or the death camps we call hospitals or a nuclear exchange is, is almost immaterial. We're under attack as a species. And, and part of that is to genetically modify us, which is what I'm, I'm actually arguing over in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. 
That genetic modification, by the way, is dependent on hydrogel. This was something created by DARPA. And in hydrogel, in the last week, we've come to find the most secret and key ingredient in it is cesium-137. And I wanted to get uh, with Dr. Vliet about it. I think she's just become aware of this. That, you know, this is a, a radioactive material, and it's in the hydrogel that is also now being included in um, insulin. So they're putting it in all injectables, whether that's your tetanus shot or insulin, they are, they are uploading into people the operating system. That's what, that's what this whole COVID thing was about, was how to install the hydrogel, how to install the lipid nanoparticles. And, and I really wanted to understand from Dr. Vleet, I don't know if she's gotten there yet, how do we remove cesium-137 from our bodies? I've heard that char uh, activated charcoal does it, but you must have better knowledge than I do. I'm going to have to do some research on that, Todd. And in getting ready for our press conference, I haven't had time to actually dig into it. But I I know that you have a team working on it. And together, yeah. we're going to figure out options to teach people. How to fix them. How do people fix themselves, I should say. Sorry, Sean. No, I think you're breaking some news here. I hadn't heard that either, Todd. So you're saying that yeah. you believe there's cesium-137 in the hydrogels? Yes. Yes, that's right. It's in the hydrogels, and the hydrogels are being put in effectively all injectables. So what we've also come to find is that 5G can't work without cesium-137. And if you were to look, for instance, at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, um, they have been tracking cesium-137 levels in people across the world, as has the WHO, the UN, every government effectively. And what we've also come to find, thanks to Lisa, who's a, a researcher on our team, is that there is a direct correlation between the, the cesium levels and the outbreaks of COVID. Cesium binds to human tissue, in fact, it binds to all biologic materials, and it effectively turns them into transistors and amplifiers. It turns people or whatever cells, living beings, living bodies, into amplified antenna. Um, the, the sending and receiving of signals amplified by virtue of this bonding of this, this component, this element, cesium-137. So that's what we found is the link between 5G and the installation of the hardware, as Moderna put it. My God. All right. So and it's uh, everywhere. The lady you heard is Dr. Lee Vliet, who works alongside attorney Todd Callender to try and get information past the public-private partnership of media and big tech sensors. These two, and the others you heard are some of the more prominent examples of the thousands of people who are trying to save as many lives as possible. The good news is that no technology is perfect. There is always an Achilles heel to every technology that can be exploited. In the case of bioelectronics, seems to be cesium. If it turns out that cesium is needed to activate the operating system of these shots, then we potentially can find a way to fight back against that, at least that mode of operation. Activated carbon has a number of valuable uses in removing contaminants from the environment, including human bodies. But don't run out and start ingesting activated carbon without first understanding what form to take, how much, and how often. This is new information, and it has to be developed. I just want to let you know that there are people working constantly to expose and fight the globalist, tyrannical agenda, people who are trying to help us fight back where and when we can. For now, God is allowing these helpful individuals to operate out in the open, although the forces of darkness are fighting back against them by deplatforming their media, shadow banning their shows, de-licensing them so they can't work, 
and otherwise threatening or terminating their careers through corporate actions. Little people like me get lost in all the noise of these big guns, so I can still disseminate information pretty freely, at least for now. Yeah, and uh, so we have so much blood money going to these hospitals, and nobody knows what's really in these vaccines. Okay, cesium-137, we have Karen Kingston yeah. saying that those parasites that have been discovered in the vaccines are nanotechnology, biosynthetic yeah. life forms. That's so right. it's no wonder people are dropping dead. I'll do a screen share, and uh, look, we're on the side of the left and the right here. We want everybody to wake up to the bioweapon. We want everybody to wake up to the truth. But it's the anti-vaxxers that have been right all along. Former Democrat candidate who said, I don't give an F what happens to anti-vaxxers, died suddenly while walking his dog. So, Todd, I'm coming back to you. I don't know how many people realize this, but you are an insurance company executive. And before Dr. Vliet hopped on and I hit record, you said that people are going from fine to dead in 30 days. This is some of the hard data yeah. you're seeing. So it's not just the Democrat walking his dog there. It's all sorts of people. Just dropping yeah. dead. It's sudden adult death syndrome. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And, and what we also Ooh. know is by virtue of the HIV proteins that they put into the shots, by the time you get three of them, your natural immunity is gone. You don't have it. So what we're coming to find is that people that might have been you know, cancer-free, they beat cancer five years ago, all of a sudden go from no cancer to 30 days later, stage four cancer and death. But any malady will do. If, if, they're, if they have no natural immunity, anything can kill them. So that's what we're coming to find and see. And the thing is, Sean, we have to stop using the language the left is using to cover up the damage. We've never had a sudden adult death syndrome before. In fact, SADS referred to seasonal affective disorder, which was <laughs> something relatively straightforward to treat with light therapy. And so they co-opted that acronym to make it sound innocuous, like, oh, we don't know what's happening. That's total BS. They know exactly what's happening. They planned it. And this is vaccine-induced death syndrome triggered by all of the things that we've been talking about. And for those who would like pharmaceutical career insider reports on the enormity of the lack of safety and the danger of these COVID shots, listen to our whistleblower report where we interviewed the career pharma insiders who have courageously come forward and are exposing all of this information. Alexandra Latipova, who's writing for trialsitenews.com, and Hedley Reese from the UK, who publishes his research and his documentation on Substack. And we they are on our team for the vaccine report, exposing the damage and the dangers. Every two weeks, we have a vaccine report coming out with this team, Dr. Mike Eden, Dr. Jancy Lindsay, Hedley Reese, Alexandra Latipova, and myself as a practicing physician, helping make sense of what the scientists and pharma insiders are talking about. So we work together. Sean over at SGT Report is doing a great job interviewing these frontline professionals who are trying to help us survive this dystopian America where big corporations, in cooperation with government, 
suppress information and actively vilify and persecute people who were trying to understand the enormity of this military operation. This kind of military operation would not be possible without the flourishing of the public-private partnerships that Obama so loved to promote. People who remember the former meaning of words and who are familiar with the history of the world know that public-private partnerships are nothing more than the political system that used to be known as fascism. Now, anyone who stands for freedom, liberty, or historic Christianity is called a fascist. These globalists not only want to control the governments and institutions of the world, they also want to control the languages of the world so they can weaponize them by stealing the feeling of the words while transforming them into the opposite of what they once meant. As Isaiah once said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and strikes them down. The mountains shake, and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. Yet, for all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is still upraised. Like it or not, God brings judgment down on nations for the sins of their leaders, especially nations where the people champion the sins of their leaders, cheer them on, and reward them. In a nation where we're allowed to vote for our leaders, at least superficially, we will not escape the judgment of God when those leaders promote activities that are designed to depopulate the world. Forget the bioweapons for a moment and just consider an even more overt mechanism to depopulate. America leads the world in the slaughter of innocent babies in the form of abortion. In the face of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, several states legalized abortion up to the point of birth, something that the Satanists of the world have advocated for years. Just think about what that means. A living baby can be in the birth canal when the mother says, uh, No, I don't want it. Chop it up and get rid of it for me. And the doctors will have to do that. This doesn't even consider the millions of babies that are killed at other stages of development each year in the United States. Do you think that God will let this kind of evil go unpunished? We live in a country where, when violent criminals are arrested for committing violent acts against innocent people, liberal judges let them go so they can commit other violent acts against other innocent people. Will God let that go unpunished? We live in a country that unleashes its weapons of war against countries all around the world ostensibly for nation-building purposes. But in the process, these weapons destroy much of the country and many of its inhabitants. For those nations we can't directly bomb and occupy, we lead the world in selling weapons of war to the factions who will bomb and occupy and kill and rape and murder those with whom they disagree. What, for example, do we have to do with Ukraine? Why are our weapons of war making their way into the hands of the Ukrainian government? and also criminal cartels around the world? Why did our government abandon $80 billion worth of military equipment in Afghanistan 
and essentially leave it to the Taliban. Weren't we told for years that the the Taliban were bad and we needed to promote nation-building by killing them and bombing their country? Didn't thousands of Americans die and weren't tens of thousands wounded just for doing that? Will God let that kind of hypocrisy go unpunished? Well, that's it for today. Stay tuned for part two. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and give it a happy face, a high five star, or whatever else your app has to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, and Podchaser. Oh, oh, I am humbled. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Until next time, trust in God and not in the World Economic Forum's genuine certified digital ID. Digital ID.